Lord, help us now as we think about that gospel reading, and we ask that in the name of Jesus himself. Amen. So the question, um, what would Jesus do on a day like today? And I'm sorry to revive that meme from the 1970s about what would Jesus do uh, in all sorts of uh, places and all sorts of circumstances. But because we are Christian people, we bear the name of Christ. And in the New Testament, we're called to imitate Christ, to have the same mind that Christ had, and to walk, that is, to live as Jesus lived. So, what does that mean for us on March the 15th as we think about those horrendous events of uh, a year ago and the continuing tensions in our world between uh, the so-called Christian West and other places and the world of Islam? What would Jesus do if he were here now advising us about today? At the early service, someone said, well, he wouldn't be here. He would stay home because of the virus. Uh, to which I said, no, he'd come, but he would have washed his hands first. There was a lot of talk about water in those gospel readings. But what would Jesus do? And uh, the reason for asking this is um, to get around the question, how do we answer that, given that Jesus never met any Muslims? It was another six centuries before uh, Muhammad arrived and the world of Islam was, uh, was born, as it were. Jesus never met any Muslims, but he did meet Samaritans. And I'm not going to labor you with the research I did in, in a book that I wrote about the 13 uncannily exact parallels between the religion and practice of the Samaritan world and Islam. But you can see where I'm going here. If we can see how Jesus reacted to Samaritanism, and it is uncannily parallel with the world of Islam, then it gives us who are called to imitate Jesus some possibilities as we interact with the Samaritans, I mean the Muslims, of our day. So, there are great Samaritans. And uh, I can give you more details about all of this. Um, an email address of mine is about will come up later and you can, I'll send you... Uh, I'll send you this PowerPoint if you're interested in the details that I'm hinting at uh, here. So, um, what would Jesus do? Well, what would uh, Jesus do? The Samaritan woman was one of these Samaritans, of course, that uh, I'm uh, telling you about, have these parallels with Islam. But she had inherited a problem, the terrible history between Jews and Samaritans. What I mean is that as we heard that gospel reading, embedded within it are a number of signs, a number of clues, a number of reminders that Jews and Samaritans had a terrible history at the very time that Jesus was speaking to this woman. There was a history of violence. In fact, while Jesus was still a toddler, a, a group of Samaritans uh, broke into a Jewish tomb, got the bones out of that tomb. Now, in the Middle East, uh, even today, uh, there are many cultures, bones and death and dead bodies just brim with 
with, with fear and, uh, and, and all sorts of rules round about them. These Samaritans dug up or extracted these bones and in fact broke into the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem and scattered these bones in the Holy of Holies. Now that, as Westerners we, we, and others, we find that very difficult to grasp just how horrendous that was. The, the size of the problem caused by that event uh, was immediately reflected in the fact that uh, uh, Jewish uh, vigilantes with Roman assistance went immediately to the two villages from which these Samaritans came and slew everybody with wholesale massacres. This is all reported in, in, in Jewish history. So a history of violence, a history of slander. At, at the time of Jesus, it, it was a commonplace among Jewish people to say that Samaritan women menstruated continuously. Now, that's a big issue. Uh, sorry about the pun. But that, that, that's a big uh, uh, dimension of, uh, of cultural taboo and so on at that time. But the slander was that uh, Samaritan women menstruate continuously. And more than that, that Samaritan girls, from the moment they were born, were perpetually menstruating. Therefore, uh, unclean the entire time. Now, this, in fact, this slander enters the rabbinic literature. I've actually read the uh, rabbinical writings from it's either the third or the fourth century in which this slander is repeated. And of course, this kind of talk and this kind of background inevitably leads to to grudges. So what I'm saying is that embedded in this story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman, it's a lovely story. We like hearing about it. But embedded in it is a background of violence and slander and grudge bearing. Let me just try to reinforce the story one more time uh, visually for you, because uh, we know the story, but just a look at here's a, a contemporary icon um, to uh, remind us of the story. But it's a story that's been loved by Christians right around the world. Here, here's a piece of Japanese Christian art uh, uh, commemorating the story. Here's a contemporary Chinese piece of uh, slightly modernist-looking uh, uh, account of the story, or a more traditional uh, Chinese um, uh, painting. I just love the way in which those waters are rising around the two of them. It's a story that's loved in India. Here's a more contemporary uh, Indian piece of art there. It's a story that has resonances in Africa. Uh, I think this is uh, from Kenya. Uh, and I like this piece of contemporary British art. This is rather nice, isn't it? Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman. But my all-time favourite, I think, is from the beginning of the last century, a Polish painting. Just look at the body language there, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Now, I'm showing you this art visually to try to get, to get us back into that story so that I can point out to you that within the story, there are a number of hints to us about these grudges that are there. You see, just the, what I've highlighted in yellow there, 
Um, they're in a Samaritan town. You know, Jews, Orthodox Jews like Jesus, were not allowed into Gentile and Samaritan villages and houses. And here he seems intentionally to go there. There are these reminders that for the, the Tangata Whenua there, uh, Jacob, their ancestor, and Jacob's well, uh, are really significant to them. A reminder further down that uh, this leads to uh, an inability for Jews and uh, Samaritans to eat and drink with one another. But Jesus launches this discussion, as uh, we've been reminded in our, both our first reading and, uh, and in some of our hymns, uh, about water, the importance of water and the way he's going to use water. But the woman uh, in, the, in the dialogue keeps hinting at these disputes and grudges. Uh, she can see that Jesus is a prophet, but wants to remind him that uh, their Samaritan fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say people must worship in Jerusalem. Just one quick thing about Samaritanism that I found. Samaritanism, fiercely monotheistic and a scripturally based religion, and their scripture was the Torah. In particular, the books of the Pentateuch. And in fact, the Samaritan Pentateuch is exactly the same as the Pentateuch in Jewish and Christian Bibles to this day, except for one thing. The Ten Commandments are there, but the Tenth Commandment, which as you know says something else different from what I'm about to tell you, the Samaritan version says, you shall worship the Lord your God on Mount Gerizim only. Otherwise, the Pentateuch's the same. The Ten Commandments are the same. But this commandment was, this is our sacred mountain. You are to worship God here. So the woman reminds Jesus of this. You see, you Jews say we meant to worship at Mount Zion. We know that's not right. And then Jesus sort of elevates the discussion um, a time's coming when uh, this is going to be irrelevant. Jesus sidesteps the issue of the grudges by pointing to an eternal and transcendent dominion. The woman acknowledges him as Messiah because uh, Samaritans knew a Messiah was coming. And she says, I, I think I've met him right here. Uh, Jesus says, I'm the one speaking to you. Okay, so I've given you some of the background. Now, let's try to translate that into what it means for us here in Christchurch today, a year on from March the 15th last year. Jesus and Samaritans, as I've said in that chapter, despite the history of violence and slander and grudges, Jesus talks, talks respectfully with the Samaritan woman. I can put it this way, Jesus treats that Samaritan woman with non-condescending respect. Just read the story, that's apparent. Jesus acknowledges a common faith, the things that Jews and Samaritans share. Jesus gently points out some differences and shortcomings, but not by means of a frontal assault on the woman and her faith. And, of course, Jesus' attitude to Samaritans is reflected again uh, in, in a radical way in the parable of the compassionate uh, Samaritan, where he uses this, for his time, impossible example of a Samaritan person as a conveyor of the mercy and grace of God. Uh, 
the parable of the compassionate Samaritan. Just notice in the background there, the, the Levi and the priest are passing by. It's the Samaritan, the bikey gang member, who stops and helps there. That's why the story is worth listening to again. So Jesus and Samaritans. I wanted to draw out the parallels with Islam. And of course, a reminder that this is a reality, the world of Islam. In the world today, there are 1.7 billion Muslims. Here in New Zealand, the last census, 46,000 Muslims, up from only 6,000 in 1991. And there's much more to the world of Islam, even here in New Zealand, than a celebration or remembering of grief uh, today. Think of New Zealand's best-known Muslim, Sonny Bill Williams, an exemplary model in changing rooms, both in his career as a rugby league player and a rugby union player. Here he is with uh, Ofa Tuanga Safasi, I guess, two of the best-known Muslims in New Zealand today. So, just a reminder, what did Jesus do when he meets this uh, parallel to a Muslim uh, uh, person, the Samaritan woman? What did Jesus do? He talks and asks questions. Now, I do encourage you to talk to Muslims. The, the next time you meet a Muslim, please smile. Please say salam. You might even learn the, the more formal greeting, assalamu alaikum. Uh, Salam, peace. Muslims respect you if you acknowledge that they are, as they claim to be, a religion. But just say salam. Uh, talk and ask questions. Now, I say this because uh, the world of Islam is pretty diverse. If you've been following the discussions about this afternoon's cancelled uh, celebration and so on, Muslim Muslims in New Zealand pretty divided over whether this is a good thing to do or not, uh, whether the imam should even be present. Um, but by asking questions, you'll find out what the actual Muslim person in front of you thinks about things. Don't assume that they will believe what the textbooks uh, say that Muslims ought to believe. Just, just ask. That's always a good thing to do. Jesus shows kindness and help. That's uh, apparent in the stories that he told about uh, Samaritans and others. Jesus praises some of the faith he finds in these so-called outsiders. When Jesus meets Gentile women, for example, he acknowledges the faith and humility. When he meets that Roman centurion, a Gentile, he acknowledges the faith and humility that is there. There's no reason at all why we as Christian people should not acknowledge the faith and humility that we will find in Muslim people. I'm not saying that means we therefore embrace every single thing they believe and say and do, but acknowledge the faith and humility that you find. Jesus did that. We can do the same. Jesus even uses Samaritans as examples. He's not embarrassed to draw attention to himself. And we gently, as Christian people bearing his name from time to time, will need to do that uh, as well. Jesus does notice the Samaritan grudges, but he works his way around them. 
there are lessons for us there. So these grudges, Samaritan and Jewish, Christian and Muslim, clearly these grudges lie behind the sorry history of the encounter between Islam and the Western world. Some of these grudges lodged in the distorted mind of the gunman uh, a year ago. I've not read the manifesto, but parallel manifestos often say we in the Christian West must defend ourselves against these Muslim invaders today. Whether the Australian gunman exactly had that language in mind, it's quite common among white supremacists to appeal to the Christian West as in, invariably and uh, inevitably um, opposed to all of, all of Islam. So what do we do about these grudges? They are there in one form and another. Well, Jesus sidesteps those stale disputes and doesn't hide his own radical views. That means that for us today living in Samaria, I mean a world that has Muslims in it, but living today in Samaria requires skill and patience and love. And the reason why it requires skill and love, the reasons are these, that you cannot change a grudge by a direct assault. Think of the people who bear grudges against you or think of your grudges against other people. Is a direct assault on them verbally or more than that going to change that grudge? It will usually make it worse. You can't change a grudge by direct assault. <clears throat> you have to love the people on the other side of the grudge. And I think Jesus models that in his encounters with Samaritans and his teaching about them. Let's just think of the world of Islam for a moment. <clears throat> I love seeing these slides, uh, these photos, because they, they, as far as I know, just simply didn't appear in the Western media. <clears throat> a few years ago, when Al-Qaeda and some of their offshoots were <clears throat> murdering Christians in Iraq, Christian households were identified by having the Arabic uh, letter for uh, N, noon, uh, because that's the, the Arabic slander for Christians is to call them Nazarites, Nazarenes. I won't give you the, the history behind that. But this Muslim presenter on Iraqi TV turns up to read the news with one of these symbols on herself saying, I'm a Muslim, but I'm standing with these Christians who are about to be slaughtered. <clears throat> uh, at the same weekend in, in Baghdad, what are these Christians doing? What are these Muslims doing? On the left there, you can see a man who's holding in his right hand a copy of the Quran and in his other hand a cross, saying, I'm standing with... This is outside a Christian church. And over on the right, you can see that, that Arabic letter noon again. These are Muslims saying, we want to stand with you Christians. Th these are courageous acts, I tell you, in, uh, in Iraq. <clears throat> what about in France? You, you remember a, a few years ago, an elderly priest was murdered at the altar, had his throat cut and all that kind of thing. The following Sunday, Muslims turned up at Catholic churches in France. See the top left there? There the priest is leading them in. 
On the top right, there they are gathered inside the church. Bottom left, some of them felt they couldn't go in, but there they are gathered outside the church. And on the right, uh, in another church, there they are uh, gathered as well. So th this is one instinctive reaction of most Muslims to the horrors that are committed in, in, the, uh, in the name of their religion. And wasn't it good to see the acts of compassion uh, shown towards Muslims here in Christchurch, then and now. Of course, having said that, what was the headline that that sort of frightened me the most this week? A headline in the Christchurch press saying, we thought the hate would end. Did you see that? Muslims saying in the years since, it's not really better yet. Well, I just wanted to show you those kind of counterexamples as well. So practically speaking, now if you want this PowerPoint and in it, I, it, I can send it to you. Just remember Theologist Bob and, uh, at the Gmail and I'll send you this PowerPoint if you want the detail. And I'll put a few other bits and pieces in as well to give you rehearsing some of the background that I gave to you. Uh, religion is usually not the place to start in talking with Muslims. Meet as human beings, first of all. Simple greetings, remember salam, assalamu alaikum. Um, that is always appropriate. Kindness and friendship are the usual and the best places to start. Muslim hearts aren't going to be won by Western arrogance or wars on terrorism. When we meet Muslims, we meet them, I hope, with kindness and respect in faith and humility praying that God would meet us and them as we do. You know, it's a lovely thing to say to a Muslim when you meet them, you know, we are, we are meeting in the presence of God. I'm praying that God will speak to me and to both of us as we talk with one another. If, when it's appropriate, you can say that kind, that kind, of, uh, that kind of thing. Um, one of the best books to read is by a British author called Colin Chapman, um, Cross and Crescent, or you could talk to me about another resource that has uh, all these details about Samaritan and, and Islam. Now, <clears throat> I've used up my time, but let me just tell you a story about the mosque here in Christchurch. So for a number of years, um, I taught world religions at Laidlaw College, and every second year, because it was on a cyclical basis, we'd take all our students uh, to the mosque and, uh, and there, this is what would happen. Um, we'd go into the main meeting hall and the imam would sit us down. And the imam at the time, uh, it's not the, not the current imam, but the, the imam at the time, he would get out his old seminary notes. He'd get out his old uh, full scap sheets of paper, sort of blow the dust off them. And then in a fairly unconvincing way, would run his finger down his old seminary notes, telling us all the things that were wrong with Christianity. Oh, you did this, this is wrong, this is wrong, and this is wrong. But you know, for any Muslim and any imam who has to read off notes, you know straight away, his heart's not in it. You know, from that part of the world, if you believe something, you stand up and you say it. Yeah, but here, there he is, he's, he's, because unfortunately there were people around the periphery of the just checking that he did the right thing, which was tell Christians how wrong they are, put them in their place. So his heart wasn't in it. And he'd come up with some really strange things. And I'm looking at the students going, 
no, just, uh, just, just let's just leave, just leave it alone, please, leave it alone. And you say, any questions? And I'm saying to the students, no, not at this point, because I knew what was going to happen next, because this happened year after year. We would then go over and uh, we'd have refreshments, we'd have sort of morning tea together. And, uh, and the imam's far more relaxed then, <clears throat> and he'd say, so um, what, what can we talk about? And I, I, I learned to start off by asking, start off in this kind of way. I'd say, well, Imam, you were, you were in Sydney. He was Imam at a mosque in Sydney during the 9-11 attacks. So, Imam, what happened to your mosque uh, after the 9-11 attacks? Oh, he'd say it was terrible. He said people came and painted swastikas on our mosque. And uh, people threw stones at my children when they were going to school, and they would spit at my wife in the supermarket. Uh, these are subtle Australians, you understand, <coughs> uh, re reacting. <coughs> and and I then I'd say to him, because this became a little um, thing that we went over year after year, uh, but uh, didn't anybody help? Oh, he said, you know, the only people who helped us were the Christians. And, you know, it was Christian people who came along and painted all the, the swastikas. And it was Christian people who gave my wife a cake and brought sweets to my children and flowers to me. And then he'd start crying. If every year this would happen, he, he actually would forget uh, that he was being led into was he was led along this path by me, but every second year we'd go along, he'd forgotten we'd been through this, but he would cry. Uh, his heart wasn't in all those condemnations he felt he had to give, but the moment he realized that the people who helped him were Christian, he will never forget the kindness he was shown there, even while his mind was telling him, this is very strange, these people shouldn't be so kind and all the rest of it. So that, that's my um, story from, from the mosque, from the al Nur mosque here in, in Christchurch. Um, as I say, a, a different imam, but I tell that story. And I could tell you a number of other parallel kinds of stories. So just as we finish now, uh, here are the possibilities for us to engage with Muslims like Jesus did. So starting at the top there, kindness and real dialogue. You might be the first person who's ever asked a Muslim, so what actually do you believe and what do you actually do? Um, not to give them a lecture, but actually to listen respectfully the way in which Jesus treated that Samaritan woman with non-condescending respect. Like Jesus, let's avoid fear. Okay, there are some awkward dimensions of Islam, which is why we have police and intelligence and military. But with the Muslims that you're going to meet here in New Zealand, we have every reason to avoid fear. As I said to someone, uh, well, I was actually in the Papua Nui Club drinking beer and playing uh, uh, billiards with them, but I, this popped out of my mind to one of my... Uh, one of the guys I was playing billiards with. Um, look, just think of uh, all the years there have been Muslims in, in New Zealand. Uh, over the last, all those years, um, how, many, how, many, uh, how many Muslims <coughs> have killed Christians in New Zealand? Just approximately. Well, the answer, of course, is zero. <laughs> During the same period of time, how many Muslims have been killed by people from the so-called Christian West. 
fairly obvious, isn't it? So avoid fear, sidestep the grudges. On the right-hand side, respect the faith and humility that you will find that is there down the bottom. You can offer to pray with Muslims. If you're going to question them about some of the awkward stuff, do it gently, and it's the last thing you do, not the first thing you do with them. Don't be frightened to point to Jesus. Prophet Isa, Prophet Isa, Nabi Isa ibn Maryam, Jesus, the son of Mary, has an extraordinarily honoured place in, in the Quran. I could tell you more stories about that. In other words, engage like Jesus uh, himself. So th there it is. That's the world of Islam. It's parallels with Samaritanism and uh, the stories that we read in the Gospels themselves give us every possibility of a new heart and mind towards the Muslim people that we meet. Lord, may it be so. Amen.